Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Black Standard Podcast. My name is Courtney Ann Wallace. And on this podcast, we talk about Black wealth, Black entrepreneurship, and so forth. As you guys know, it's custom to have our mantra on the podcast, and it goes like this. My heart is clean. My mind is open. I'm happy to be alive, and I'm ready to receive. Our quote of the day is... Without continual growth and progress, such words as improvement, achievement, and success, it has no meaning. And that is by Benjamin Franklin. So guys, we have a very, very special guest on the podcast today. She brings a lot of flavor to the podcast, literally. She always found herself in her grandmother's kitchen, and she learned very quickly what it meant to spread love and happiness through meals and food and food content creation on social media. She's been in the food industry for at least 15 years, and she has done it all from private events to owning her own food establishment to doing consultations to being viral on TikTok. Yannick Tucker is really making her mark as a food professional and as a woman of color in business. So welcome to the podcast, Yannick. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Hi, so how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, just using my weekend as usual for content creation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I know how that goes. So let's jump straight into the podcast, Yannick. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I want to know where you're from and, you know, basically what was childhood like for you? Um, I was born and raised in St. Mary in Jamaica. So I was um, raised in a small fishing village called Paji. Okay. Um, in the capital of St. Mary in Port Maria. Uh, so that's where I grew up. I um, attended school there up until 10th grade. Okay. And then I migrated to the United States and the second half of my life I spent here. Okay, wonderful. Um, life growing up, it was like very typical of a country upbringing. Uh, living in the rural areas of Jamaica is quite different from growing up in the city. So I guess all of the things that go along with that, like outdoor showers and raising livestock and planting a lot of your own food and really just like having a childhood, like running around outside. There was a lot of that. Um, I spent lots of days on the beach. <laughs> Obviously, oh. we were like a two-minute walk away from the beach. And most most people in um, our village made a living from fishing. So we spent a lot of time on the beach. Okay. But, yeah. So you, you had a very, you know, simplistic and also very fun lifestyle because I personally did not grow up in the country. I don't know what it's like to be outdoors with lots of trees. I don't know if you're familiar with Portmore, but it's very, very dry. <laughs> so your um, childhood actually seems very fun. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I read through your blog. Um, I'm a big fan, by the way. And um, I realized that in your about section, you pay a lot of homage to your grandmother, um, so, you know, what, how big of a role did she play in your life, especially you now being like a, a food professional? Um, what was it like growing up with her as a young Jamaican girl, you know, helping out in the kitchen, learning to prepare food? What was all of that like for you? 
Um, my grandmother was my world. Um, so we grew up in an extended household. My mother okay. was always at home. My father's actually from the other end of the island in Chelani, and they met in oh. school. And okay. she decided not to live with him and his family. She stayed at home. And so I would see my father ever so often when he would visit or we would visit the other end of the island. So I always grew up with my grandmother. Um, and then when my mom left, my mom left when I was about seven, maybe seven or eight. And she came here first, she came to the United States first. So I spent those remaining years with my grandma. So, you know, she was always central to my upbringing. I remember even when my mom moved out prior to coming to America, she asked me, do you want to come and live with me? I said, no, I actually can't live with you. I have to live with my grandmother. <laughs> so she she always talks about that and always says she feels a little bit betrayed <laughs> that <laughs> I wouldn't go with her. Um, but yeah, she was she was everything to me. And so she's the person who taught me to to cook, like do really basic cooking. Um, and then eventually I was doing it on my own. Um, I was super greedy as a kid. And so I wanted to be able to make my own food on demand. And so right. I learned how to do everything that she was doing pretty early. Uh, but yeah, that looks like always being in the kitchen. And so she would always say, I'm going to go start cooking. You need to come because part of her traditional, she's a traditionalist, um, is that girls need to learn how to cook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you got to know how to cook. Um, and so I was always in the kitchen doing something, either watching her or actually doing little steps that she would tell me to do. And eventually I started cooking on my own around eight or nine years old. So, yeah. So that, I mean, living with your grandma personally, um, for me, my grandma, she passed away, but she lived in the country as well. And I remember going to her house and I would get like, you know, full course meals for breakfast. I'm talking callaloo, fried fish, boiled dumplings, hot cocoa tea. And I don't mean the powdered cocoa, the one that you have to, you have to grate Great. it. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. that must've been so good. Like such a good experience living with your grandma, right? Like all yep. those meals. And yeah. I don't know if it comes with age, but guys, Jamaican grandmas can cook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. I think they've been, I mean, the same sort of traditional idea of women having a place in the kitchen and mm -hmm. women being homemakers. That, you know, that was something that was ever present in Jamaican culture. And so she also started cooking at a very young age. Mm -hmm. She was also raised with her grandmother um, and her aunt, Aunt Iris, who they sold food. And so mm. she was like always, you know, in the kitchen and learning from them. And then she retired at 40 just to stay home and take care of her kids. So cooking was so important to her and central to her lifestyle. So, yeah, naturally, all of us who grew up with her had to learn how to cook. 
You know, a lot of women, they take pride in actually being able to provide for their families in that manner. Like just for me, I don't I'm not married or I don't have kids or anything, but like cooking for my partner or having my mom taste my food. It gives a lot of pride, like seeing them eat and it like and they enjoy it. Their facial expressions are like, mm. so I know that that definitely must have felt good for her. So um, you started cooking pretty young. Um at what age would you say you, you began to really fall in love with food preparation? If you could think of a specific age. Man, uh, that was really early. I felt very comfortable in the kitchen and I started doing it on my own at around eight or nine. And yeah, I've loved it ever since. And I think, like I said before, it's connected to how greedy I am, right? Like for me, I always wanted hot food. Like you can't give me a sandwich. You can't give me bulla. You can't give me things like that as a kid. Yeah, I don't like. I wanted either. like, like wholesome, plated hot food all the time. It's like a running joke on both sides of my family. How I would never eat bun and cheese for lunch. Like mm. I don't want that. So, <laughs> so I like had to really figure out like who's going to be cooking my meals all the time like that no one so I had to figure it out myself and so I just got into it at around eight or nine all right so I I, I want to get into the brand um jam down foodie now guys um Yannick is a content creator on Instagram on YouTube on TikTok am I missing any platforms Yannick is there any? Oh, she has her website as well, which is um, Jam Down Foodie. So it's literally a brand where she she shares recipes. She she makes cooking videos for persons to see. Guys, it's so colorful. It looks extremely delicious. She has a large audience and she's done several collaborations. But I want to break down the brand so that persons can really understand because oftentimes persons see like the end result or they see the business at face value, but they don't really know what happens, you know, behind the curtains. So you're a content creator. That's number one. Recipe developer food blogger, which is a blogging is a completely different thing than actually cooking the food itself. Um, what else is in your port portfolio, like as a, a food content creator? Is there anything that we're not covering here? Um, I've done some consultations with restaurants, um, specifically helping them to develop a menu. Okay. Um, I know a particular restaurant who wanted to go from just take out to sit down mm -hmm. and they wanted to sort of transition the restaurant that way and they needed to figure out well, what are some things that we put on our um, appetizers for instance and helping them to figure that out and figure out recipes and that sort of thing so I've done a little bit of work in that regard uh, but that's pretty much it you've covered everything so it this is full-time right you you don't do other like another job or anything like that this is a full-time career for you correct this this is not I I really? have another job oh wow <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I have really? another career yeah I've only been doing um food blogging for a year but yeah. my mind is literally blown right now because I just feel like being a content creator itself can be a hefty um task yeah. And considering that you're so popular and so consistent, give it up <laughs> for that. I, I just assumed that it was full time. I think a lot of people do, but um, I try not to talk about it because I feel like 
most times when people talk about their other job and what they're doing now, it seems to be, what's the word I'm looking for? It takes away from what you're doing, maybe? Well, Is that what you're saying? I find those people to sound sort of entitled. Mm. And I feel like, you know, if I made the decision to take this on, then I should just do it. I think people will say, oh, you guys don't understand. I have a full-time job. I have a mom. I'm a mom. I have a mm-hmm. husband. I have all these things that I'm doing. And I can't always give myself to this blog. And I can't. And it's kind of like, well, you decided to do this. So right. just do it. Right. So oh. I, I try not to talk about it because I don't want, I don't want to make it seem like a burden. I see content creation as my true passion and my true love. And I do it just as seriously as I do my regular job. And that's important to me. And I don't want to seem like I'm complaining about it. I feel like it's a blessing to be able to do both. It's a lot to strategize in terms of when am I going to get this done? How am I going to do it? What am I going to do with the kids? Like, it's a lot, but I do it because I love to do it. And I'm, I'm grateful that I can. So I try not to talk too much about how busy I am and everything I have to do because it's my choice. Well, you know, you're very, you're very good at it, by the way, guys. I, I, I was speaking Thank to you. someone earlier and I was like, yo, her food. It, okay. So it's one thing to cook the food, right? It's another thing for it to taste good, but even like the photography, this is what I was referring earlier with the previous question. Like persons might see the end result, but you got to be like the photographer. You've got to be the marketer. You've got to be so many things. And your yeah. blog is beautiful, aesthetically, everything. It's just, it's really just vibrant. It's inviting. And it really Thank does you. remind me of like what you were saying about your grandma's kitchen, all those flavors, you know, feeling like you're at home. Um, um, yeah. I think your blog really expresses that. So, you know, what what was it like for you getting started? Did you just like start posting? Did you, um, you know, make a plan to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. Or is it just like freestyle? And then maybe you, you responded to demand, for example, like you started posting it, realized that it was getting traction, and then you decided to make your blog. How, how was the process? Yeah, it's a little bit of all of those things. Like, it's so important to execute on an idea, right? So a lot of people have an idea for something they want to do, and they spend a lot of time in planning, and they spend a lot of time trying to get everything right and to make everything perfect before they start. I literally started. I just said, okay, my sisters, I used to do a lot of this stuff on my personal page, and my sisters kept saying, you need to just start a page, start a page. And I'm like, okay. But eventually I said, all right, I'm going to start it. And I had no idea what I was doing. The videos were horrible. (laughs) They were blurry. (laughs) Things were upside down. They had huge borders. But the more you do something and the more you actually research and read, because there are people out there that are doing it. So people out there doing it and documenting it for you, you got to find those people and learn from them. And that's all I did. I just kept on reading and learning more about what food photography needs to look really great. Um, What do you need to have if you're going to be recording, how you should be recording, uh, what time of day you should be recording. All those things are important. So I just kept on learning more and more. But if I hadn't started, I wouldn't you know, eventually get on this path to doing it well. Um, 
so yeah, when I first started, it was literally just for my family because they were annoying me. And I, I started and I put out photos, a little bit of history, and then a video. And people started asking for the recipe. And I'm like, oh, the recipe? Yeah, okay. I, I probably need to start doing that myself. Because as you can see right now, I probably just do the content. I do yeah. not post the recipes. So I probably need yeah. to work on that myself. <laughs> yeah, but, and um, I'm like, a recipe? Okay, great. So I would start writing the recipes, but they were ad hoc. And oh. sometimes the recipes were kind of like just how it was in my head. And then yeah. I had to start actually looking at real recipes and writing them properly. And then people are like, well, yeah, we have the video, we have the recipe, but it's too fast. Oh, can you okay. put this on YouTube and slow uh -huh. it down a little bit? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need like a place where I could put all of these things. My sister said, I want to cook the stewed chicken, but I can't really handle the video on Instagram. Mm. I have to start it. I don't have like pause playback on Instagram. I have to start and I have to watch the whole thing and I have to go back. I said, okay, I'll go to YouTube. And I started putting the videos on YouTube and slowing them down and then using YouTube as a host for the videos on the blog. Let's find a, a, a nice, tidy place to put all of these recipes where I can give all of the steps because there are also limitations in the comment section and the caption section on Instagram. I can't write the recipe like I would on a blog. I'm like leaving out steps. I'm leaving out things that were happening while I was doing it. And so I could be really concise and clear on a blog. And so the blog came about. So I think like the progression of it was based on demand. Like people were saying like, yeah, I want this recipe. Yeah, I can't see that recipe the way it is. Or I need more steps or I need more help. I need more hand-holding. And, and the blog came about. So all of it was sort of like a little journey, I guess. Have you ever had that moment where like persons asked for a recipe? Because it's happened to me, to me before where like, I just do what the ancestors tell me to do. I sprinkle yeah. what the ancestors tell me to sprinkle. Yeah. And then when I actually want to make a recipe, it's like, uh, <laughs> well, I don't I, know. Right. The way we cook and the way we've been taught to cook is to literally just go with instinct. And so it's hard to figure out recipes, but it's a process. So I don't do anything without my notebook and my pen. Uh. And sometimes I make something and I'm like, oh, I have to adjust it. So you have to be comfortable with making things again. Um, and it might sound crazy, but I think that's what sets recipe, true recipe developers apart from people who are just throwing things up on a screen, right? If you have somebody who you're following recipes from and you never see them with a measuring spoon, you're probably not following their recipe, right? You have to have a measuring spoon. And you can still, sometimes I dip my measuring spoon in, I'll start with a half a teaspoon of something and you look at it and you say, well, that looks like it needs some more. And you do a half a teaspoon more and you keep a record as you keep on adding things, you are writing things down. My recipe book is a mess because I have to go back and cross things out and say, oh no, that was a little bit too much salt. And if the recipe really doesn't work out, I have to go back and do it from scratch. Do it all over again. Edits. Yeah, to make sure it's right. Because at the end of the day, people want to trust you. They want to cook something you said 
and it actually turned out really well. And so the first time you give someone something and it doesn't turn out well, it's going to be a problem. Those people will come back to your Instagram. They will put you on blast. They'll put bad comments on your blog. You don't want that to happen. So it's, it's a process. Doing it is a process, but you, after a while, you get into it. When I'm cooking for my family, I don't touch the measuring spoons. But if I'm cooking for the blog, I have to. There's no way around it. You so, got to change your mindset about it. So funny story, um, when you mentioned the bad comments, like I think it was, <laughs> I think it was December, right? Um, I, oh, I can't remember the page that I saw it. Was it Wadia? It was one of the other food content creators, right? Anyway, when I was a child, my mom would always boil her sorrow and then turn it off and then cover it. So that's how I know how to make sorrow. Um, apparently, there are other persons that throw the hot water on the sorrow and then cover it. So anyway, I did a little snippy snippy and I posted on Instagram and somebody was like, that looks like bath water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, why? What did I do? Like, there's not, and if there's anything I haven't learned with food content creation, there's no one way to do stuff. Yeah. And um, over the years, I guess with families and as you said, recipe development indirectly or for our mothers and our grandmothers did recipe development. They may not, they may not have written it down, but um, there are variations to things and people can be really harsh. And I think as a content creator, you have to kind of brace yourself for that um, and be prepared to receive all sorts of opinions. Um, it's sort of like on TikTok where someone said chicken curry. And instead of mm -hmm. actually focusing on her TikTok, the entire comment section was about curry chicken, chicken curry. Mm -hmm. So I do agree mm -hmm. with you there. But um, going back to your career, Yannick, um, you know, apart from your blog and um, your consultations, do you offer any other services? Have you considered catering before maybe? I had a catering company. I had a catering mm -hmm. company in New York for five years. I honestly, I don't even like catering anymore because of that oh, experience. No. And I wouldn't know that if I hadn't done it. So thankfully I did. Um, but the trouble with catering is that you're not, you don't have as much creative license over what you're doing because people want what they want. Right. Okay. And so you find that you're cooking and you're just cooking for what some, you know, someone wants just chicken and potatoes, right. Or something not so great. And you have to make that. Um, but the next thing is also people don't understand how expensive catering is and how much it adds up. And to a person, it's like, well, all I want is chicken or all I want is lamb. Why is this so expensive? And people don't necessarily factor in the time it takes and the energy it takes for you to be able to do something like this and do it well. The actual And equipment. they don't want to pay for it. Yeah, they don't want to pay for it. And I am just like, in a, in a city like New York, people who have the money to pay, they want really big established caterers to do their, their jobs. And the people who just want to use you are the ones that tap in. Um, and I'm not interested in that. Like I'm interested in paying um, or getting paid what I'm worth. Right. And I, yeah, I don't. So, so given that point, I actually have a follow-up question, um, uh -huh. but I have one more. Um, well, actually two more before we actually get to that question that I want to ask. So, um, you know, I, 
you mentioned um, starting, being in catering, doing consultations, um, but generally you, you're a businesswoman and everything has to be done strategically, right? Mm-hmm. I wanna know what it was like for you, um, you know, any, any obstacles or challenges that you faced um, being one, a female, being to a, a black female, um, have you ever faced any difficulties because of any of those factors? I know it's food and a lot of persons may think it's a simple niche, but even where like putting out yourself on social media was concerned, have you ever you know, encountered any challenges being a black female entrepreneur? Um, no, not specifically to me, no. Like I haven't, I haven't felt that, but food media is really diverse and there are people who felt that. Um, and I've seen their stories and seen like their so the their social media stories, you mean? What what do you mean? No, well, f- for instance, oh, you mean their, other creators? Yeah, other, oh, other okay, creators okay, in yeah, yeah. Media have, you know, they felt slighted or literally abused at their their jobs as being part of food media or being content creators, but I haven't personally experienced it. I know it exists. What I will say is that I feel like it's so much harder for someone who's doing this sort of niche in in terms of like Caribbean food or Jamaican food or whatever. Yeah. Um, I feel like if I was doing American food, I'd have more opportunities. I feel like if I was um, doing Italian food, I would have more opportunities. It's really, there are limited opportunities for people in a diaspora because our food is so different and it's so loud. It's so unapologetic. It's like we're, we're, we have a pot of chicken feet, right? Like, and for but, a lot of people, that's gross. For a lot of people, it's like, what are you doing? That's not, that's not that great. And if they haven't had the chance to romanticize it themselves, like for instance, the way they do with Asian cuisine, it's like, okay, it's been hundreds of years of, of weird food sort of from Asia. And we've accepted that. I don't think that same sort of acceptance is there broadly for Caribbean food just yet. Um, so maybe at my ability, if I was white and if I was doing um, white leaning food, I would have far more opportunities than I've had so far. But, but that's what I kind of mean because <clears throat> not necessarily from the fact that people say, cause obviously you're a woman, they're gonna expect you to be able to cook. Um, but in the sense where, like, you're, you're from Jamaica, and I have been following your blog on my personal page long before I actually reached out to you. And one of the biggest questions I've ever, I've asked myself was, um, you know, Yannick is very creative. She steps out of her comfort zone, and she does non-traditional meals. So even meals that are not necessarily Caribbean-based. I realized that you try to be creative and just, you know, free flow, do what you really want to do. And I've always wondered, like, has she ever faced backlash from persons who are maybe from that region of the dish that you created? Maybe they felt like you weren't in a place to make that particular dish. You're not experienced enough to make that particular dish. So I guess that was really the avenue that I was coming from, like being a black entrepreneur, being a woman, um, doing other other ethnic groups, this is from other ethnic groups. Have you ever received feedback like, you know, you're not doing it right? Or um, what do you know about this? You know, stick to Caribbean food, stick to Jamaican food. Have you ever experienced that? No. Really? 
Wow. I experienced that type of stuff from Jamaicans. Ah. Jamaicans are the one. Dun, the dun, one dun, dun. I have I have no business making this thing the way I'm making it, just like your experience with sorrow, right? Like that's what I was gonna say. Jamaicans think that Jamaican cuisine there's is a one monolith. way. It's a monolith, right? It's there's just how their grandma did it or yeah. how their mother did it. That's the correct way. And I started learning that when I was making more traditional Jamaican things like stew peas, for instance, I've never, not a day in my life, seen my grandmother make stew peas with coconut milk. And when I and made I've it always for, done that. My right, mom has when always I've done made that. it for my page and people were like, where's, where's the, coconut the coconut milk? milk? I was kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, oh no! And no one could believe that that was my experience, but that was my experience, and I decided to try it. And I actually, don't like it. Oh, I really? think I don't. I think the coconut milk changes the look of it. I think it changes. If there's like a sweetness to it that I don't like, and I'm like, mm, I think I'll stick with just the water because I don't. I don't enjoy it like that. And people are saying, well, you, maybe you put too much coconut milk or whatever. I'm like, listen, I'm used to doing it this way and this is how I like it. And people can't get with that. Right now, they're in an entire brawl over the potato salad I just made. <laughs> There's like a war happening over the potato salad I just made. And the thing is that people are very emotional about food and recipes and things like that, because a lot of times they tell themselves, I have the best recipe for this. So how dare someone else think that they can make this thing? You know, I, I find that persons who say that have never really, have never actually had the other, the other option. Um, oh. Because going back to the sorrel recipe, um, but it's kind of ironic that you mentioned it was mostly persons from your home country that does this sort of thing, because um I have friends, like I have Colombian friends, Venezuelan friends, and they would see whatever I cook and they're like, oh, that looks so delicious, blah, blah, blah. I've never, the, every time I've experienced a negative feedback, it's from someone here. And and yeah. I remember um, Reina, are you familiar with um, Reina's kitchen? Yeah, I am. I yeah. Am. Um, I remember her making fried dumplings with, she put butter in it. That was one. And then mm -hmm. she put it in the refrigerator. That was two. And I was like, wait, I've never done that before. My mother okay. has never done that. But then I tried it and I've never made my dumplings without butter ever since. Like I've always Correct. done that moving forward because it's Correct. actually softer. It's just, yep. it was a whole new world of flavors yep. for me. So I think yep. sometimes if instead of being like, if there's anything I've learned about traveling, culture, food, it's that, you know, there's, there's not one way to do things. And I think that person should be more open to, 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 to flavors. And I don't mean literally speaking with food. I mean, figuratively, like with culture, you know, right around the globe, just be open to different types of flavors. Yeah. I find it strange. I find it strange how people critique these sort of things. What, what could butter do to ruin a dumpling? And oh, after God. you've seen, right, after the you've seen make the dumpling and it came out the proper Ooh. consistency, it looked soft, like, why would you then 
go on Raina's page and say, that's not how you do it. What kind of figure at this? Right? <laughs> like, what's the point of that? What could butter actually do to harm dough? Nothing. Well, I can tell right you, now, I've never, I've never made my fried dumplings without butter after that. Well, that's how I learned. <laughs> that's how I learned. My grandmother always took a little piece of butter, my mom too, and like mashed it out in the flour before mm. adding the water. So I feel like food is your interpretation at the end of the day that people are upset that I put relish and mustard in my. Oh yeah. Oh, that's what they're having the war over. They're having a war over. You know, when I saw it, I was like, I have to try it. Yeah, But that's, that's not what most people think. Most people think, how dare you? First of all, we don't have relish in Jamaica. What? Go check a supermarket. There's relish, relish in, in Jamaica. Fridge. Right. <laughs> there, we don't have relish in Jamaica. There's no relish in Jamaica. And that's from probably your completely isolated rural perspective. There's relish in Jamaica. There's mustard in Jamaica as well. But what could relish and mustard do to ruin this thing? It probably only enhances it. And most people see it and they don't, they don't feel so. People are used to, my grandmother and Shalani used to only make potato salad with green peas from the can. People are I've telling never me, done that. All right. No. But going there. Two, oh, years ago, going there. Like, two years ago, two years ago, I um my I called my best friend one Christmas and she was like, how she makes her potato salad. She actually does um cayenne pepper and honey mustard. Um, trying to remember if there's anything else. No, but cayenne pepper and honey mustard. And I was like, honey mustard and potato salad. But then I tried it and it actually I did a YouTube video on that. And that's my most viewed video to this day. 18,000 views mm-hmm. with the honey mustard. Thank you, Vanessa. If you're listening to this. <laughs> Anyways, so, yeah, so- I mean, food, is, it's okay. Like, I don't know why they get so emotional they're telling me what I need to take out and what doesn't need to go in. It's like, would you just try it? And if if you're completely disgusted after you try it, then you can say that. But to tell me to come, it's infuriating, by the way. But my it's boyfriend, um, my partner, he he his mind was blown when he saw me put sugar in my baked beans. <laughs> Right. But I was like, when you go to Walmart and the, the Bush's baked bean aisle, there is bacon and baked beans, brown, sh- there's maple yeah. syrup. Like there's so yeah. many flavors. And, you know, I don't know. I just see food similar to culture and not a lot of persons are open to it. Um, but, you know, I want to move on to the next question. Um, a lot of persons think that, you know, social media isn't necessarily important for their business if they're in a particular niche. I want your opinion on being in business and being in social media. Um, do you think that it is, it's necessary, like it's a critical factor in starting a business? Or do you think that depending on the nature of your business, it's not necessarily that important? Because the previous episode, which is actually airing today, I did it with Charlene. She's a financial advisor. We were speaking about how in this day and age, it's almost a requisite to be on social media, regardless of your business. So I just wanted to take your time, your, your take on the matter. Yeah. I mean, um, that's where everyone is. Everyone is on social media constantly all day long. And so if you have a business, 
um, I think you should be there too. If you want people to see what you're doing and to actually, um, you know, endorse your business in some kind of way, you should be there. Yeah, because I feel like, especially, and I don't want to say infuriating, but I, I remember speaking to a friend already and I said, when I see persons here in our home country, Jamaica, say that they can't find a job, it's slightly infuriating because I feel like with social media, it has opened up a completely different world. Who would have thought that by filming the food that you cook, you could have a full-time career? Like Terian, Reina, you, Yannick, um, Wadia, I don't want to mispronounce your name, but I think that's how it's pronounced. You have persons with damn near half a million subscribers on YouTube, just cooking, you know, and, and, and there's several other types of niches too, that you wouldn't necessarily think about. And, and the funny part about it is that those niches are making a lot more money than um, maybe professions that you've done a college degree in and you're working in corporate. There is a young man on YouTube right now, or a little boy, I should say. He's one of the highest paid YouTubers and he's under 10 years old and all he does is review his toys. So I think with social media and, and, and having certain passions, I think as a business person, if you have eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds that are making millions of dollars just by being on social media, I don't think it would hurt having a social media presence, I personally think it's extremely critical to your business. I think it's almost a need to, to, to I be do on. as well. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. So let's jump into the money section of the podcast, Yannick, <laughs> my favorite <laughs> section. Um, so based on the business model that I observe, um, your recipes are available for free. Guys, go check out jamdownfoodie.com. <laughs> um, I want to know exactly how, how do you monetize this? Because you have a blog and it's not like you sell eBooks. It's not like, um, you know, I've, I've never, well, I've seen you do collaborations. I've seen you do sponsorships, but how exactly do you monetize your business since your recipes are free? Well, with a blog, um, people monetize blogs through ads. So when I first started, I, didn't have ads on my page at all and now people are freaking out like why there's so many ads well that's because now I was able to get on Google AdSense and add these ads to my page and you earn um per click so if you're ever on a blog and you you know you see an ad yeah and you see something and it looks interesting or if you even accidentally click on it I get paid what about if I well you said click, so probably the yeah. scrolls wouldn't count, right? What no. about TikTok? Is your TikTok monetized? I, I've I, always heard persons say they monetize TikTok, but I don't really know how they do that. I don't know. I've never seen an you, ad on TikTok or, or anything. Right. If, if monetizing TikTok is through mostly brand partnerships. Okay. So TikTok has a creator space where if you're part of that space, people can make you offers and you can accept the offers and you can um, create a video uh, highlighting their product or their food or their restaurant, whatever it is they want you to advertise for them on your TikTok. And then depending on the contract, so the contract can be 
they pay you per post or they can pay you per purchase of that product, like a percentage of whatever people buy. So that's called affiliate um, sponsorship. So if I'm selling, I don't know, if I'm selling coffee and people buy the coffee at full price or people buy the coffee through my link, they usually can get 5% off, but then I also earn $5 per purchase. Okay. So um, that's how you monetize TikTok is through their creator space. Okay. So you see, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. A lot of times people see the end value, but they don't know what happens on the back end because I'm thinking that um, maybe you do catering or maybe I've never seen you do an ebook before, but, you know, I always wondered, like, how do you monetize something like that? Obviously, with Terry and her channel would be um, her form of monetization. Right. Um, that nurse can cook. I think she does ebooks. I'm not quite sure. I think I've seen her do a few ebooks. But I've never thought of it as from an ad concept to know that when you go on a blog, because personally, I don't do um, I don't have a blog. <laughs> so I've never really thought of it like that. But that's extremely, extremely interesting, actually. <laughs> so yeah. people also pay you for your email list. So when you go to a blog oh, and yeah. you, there's a pop up that says subscribe to our blog so you can get newsletters or announcements or whatever from us. Um, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, you are building an email list. And depending on the size of your email list, you'll you know get a certain amount of money per email. Um, and you can say, well, I have this email list of 4,000 people. I can create an entire campaign for you. So not only will I make a recipe for you and put it on all my social platforms, I'm also going to send this recipe to my email list. So all of those things sort of help you to become, um, I guess, more viable right. and you can make more money. So what about um, sponsorships as well? I, right. We, so we didn't mention also, that. Yeah, there are also um, sponsorships, brand partnerships that you can do with different brands. And that's basically, I think, the, the money maker. Mm. There are brands that will pay you. Uh, to use their products. Right, yeah, and a percentage of your following per post. Okay. But you can also do an entire campaign with a brand. So that means you stay on and you do a number of posts over a period of time. I've seen where those can pay $20,000 for one campaign. And so ultimately you want to grow to that, to that place. And I think, I think people are confused about how to do this and they think that they have to have 300,000, 200,000 followers for brands to recognize them or for them to get brand partnerships. And that's not true. Um, I don't know if you, I'm going to give you her name, her Instagram name. She has less than 10K followers and she doesn't have a second job. She makes all her money from her brand partnerships because she pitches to brands. So she'll go to brands yeah. and she'll say, this is what I did for the last six brands. This is how much money the brand earned because of my post. And all of these things you can track through analytics, through the apps. Um, and Lexi makes all her money from brand partnerships with under 10K followers. So you don't need to have 200,000 followers for a brand to give you a sponsorship or a partnership. Meet well with Lex. 
Yes, that's Lexi. Oh, this is beautiful. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so Lexi does a combination. She's really lifestyle because you she gets. Yeah, you know, I see. I see her uh, travel. Sometimes she does her stays at hotels. She'll do like a restaurant. She'll highlight sometimes she'll highlight baby things or pregnancy things. So she just had a baby. So she's more of a lifestyle blogger than she is just food. But that being lifestyle just opens up more doors for you. And, and that, that sort of brings me to my next question, because um, what I'm trying to, to show people on this podcast, you don't necessarily have to have um, more than one business or more than one job um, because one business can actually provide more than one stream of income for you, especially if you have a really good business model. And I wanted to ask you, Yannick, um, how, on an estimate, rather, how many streams of income would you say that the Jam Down Foodie brand has really provided for you? Because you mentioned ad space, you mentioned partnerships, you mentioned um, consultations. What would be a good number of how many incomes one brand has given you? So I've monetized the blog. That's one. Um, I actually get paid for every reel that I make um, on Instagram. So you get paid for reels. Um, I have, Hi, Instagram? I That's what you mean? Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's called. Oh, yeah. Reels. Now that you say it, when I do watch like the Ellis's, um, Kadeem and, and, and Deval, they do have ads on their reels. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So Instagram pays you for reels. The algorithm in Instagram prioritizes reels. So if you post an image of something, it probably won't get as many eyes. Right. Yeah. As your reels are going to do. And right now that's free. So I would tell any content creator to take advantage of that. Do not do long videos. Do not pass go. Do not collect a hundred dollars. Make reels. When I as tell many you, of them as you can. When I tell you that the corned beef TikTok is my most viewed TikTok, yep. I was like, seriously? Corned yep. beef? Yep. Corned beef, people? I've been Sometimes doing chicken. Sometimes it's the simplest thing. Right. I've it's been doing pastries thing. and my corned beef gets the mm-hmm. most views? Really? <laughs> that was because hilarious. It, it triggers an emotion. It's a lot of this stuff in psychology. It triggers an emotion yeah. in people and even people who don't eat corned beef anymore or don't necessarily like it. It triggers an emotion from something in their past or some experience they've had with it or whatever. And it'll make them engage more with those things. My corned beef recipe is number one on Google. Wow. Yeah. So if you were supposed to Google <laughs> corned beef, I would, I would come up. Because people care about it. Because Caribbean you, people care about it. You know what I think? I think sometimes as a content creator, you want to do the most unique thing. You want to stand out. But like you said, it's really psychology because the comments on TikTok, they're like, "My fa- this is my favorite dish or long time I'm going to eat some of this. And I was like, you know, because through them commenting, through them watching it, that then boosts the analytics. And then TikTok is like, okay, people like this. So let me just... Mm-hmm. Let me share it. Keep so throwing it out. Yeah. Totally yep. agree with you there. <clears throat> so, um, so there's reels play. Uh, I don't have an ebook, but I have a recipe kit. 
So okay. I made money from my recipe kits. Um, I make the, the biggest amount of money I make is for my actual recipe development. So you could do recipe development for um, businesses, restaurants, for online magazines. Oh, and you can do it for businesses too. Like there's somebody behind every time Maggie puts out a recipe, every time Grace puts out a recipe, there's somebody behind that. Someone made it. It's not an employee at Maggie. I can tell you that much. So they're paying people to do these things for them on the back end. And so not everything that you can share on your Instagram is what you're actually making money from. My biggest deal right now is recipe development for a cookbook that I'm working on behind the scenes. But I would not have gotten that opportunity if I wasn't doing this sort of content creation and putting myself out there and making people feel like, oh, she can create recipes. So the largest amount of money you'll make is probably not going to be from the things that you can necessarily put out there yourself. There are girls who are making money from their own cookbook deals, lots of white girls, because as I said before, there are more opportunities for them in this business, but publishers will reach out to someone who has a really great blog and say, I love your blog. Let's take some of these things and publish an actual cookbook that's not self-published, it's from a big publisher and we can sell it in Barnes and Nobles and we can sell it here and there and you can make a lot of money. Or so, um, there's people like Jai or, or Jay, I'm not sure how she pronounces her name, that does kitchen equipment, uh-huh. right? Well, so, I, the caveat to someone like Jai or Jay or whatever is that they, she's doing all of these things on her own Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily necessarily where the money is. When you publish a cookbook on your own, like you have to foot all of the upfront expenses and obviously uh. that's not cheap. So you're thinking about a 300 page beautiful cookbook with all these wonderful images. When that is supposed to go to press, just imagine how much she has to come out of pocket for one of those. We had an incident the other day where her container sank. <laughs> Her her shipping container with the, the shipment sank and she basically had to rebuy all of those books and ship to her customers. That was, I think I'd go crazy if that happened to me, but I'm just kind of trying to show people like the different, like people look at one thing like, okay, YouTube <laughs> or okay. Yeah, I'm actually not even space. monetizing YouTube. I'm not monetizing YouTube yet and I'm not monetizing my Amazon yet because I just feel like, YouTube is a different strategy and I'm, I'm going to have to reframe some things and mm-hmm. make it for YouTube. And I just don't have the time right now with everything else that I'm doing. But everything you use in your kitchen, you can link it on Amazon in an Amazon ah, store. Yes, yes. And make yes. money from that as well. That too. And you can also you can also share those links within your blog, those affiliate links within your blog. Um, And of course, you can monetize YouTube depending on your views and the amount of followers that you have. So there are lots of ways to make money. There are lots of streams. 
It's just that you want to pick the ones that are working for you and stick to them. I totally forgot about the Amazon. So listeners, like they're basically what we're trying to say is don't don't limit yourself to one thing. Do your research and try to think beyond what you because remember, social media is for persons that are viewing. If you want to be the creator, you kind of have to look beyond the pictures and beyond the reels and say, okay. How can I monetize this other than what I'm seeing here? You know, basically stuff like that. And Yannick, I think you have done that. So really hats off to you because a lot of these things that we're discussing here, I'm sure that there's somebody listening to the podcast and they probably didn't think about um, content creation in that way. So um, let's try to move on to the next question. The biggest question I have into food content creation is the expenses of the food versus the money that you make. Because let's face it, if you, some of the dishes, if you really want to go top notch, you're probably going to have to get some expensive ingredients. Um, Not all the times you may have a sponsor readily available to provide that specific product. So what is that like for you? Or how could you basically break that down for us? Like spending money on the actual food versus the money that you actually make? Um, I eat well in general. So I like just for I don't eat chicken unless it's organic like I don't eat eggs unless it's cage-free organic like they're in my own personal lifestyle like I I try to eat well but I figure if you don't spend the money now you're going to spend it later on trying to to heal yourself yeah and to get better and it's not like home where you know you knew the guy up the street who raised that cow and he raised the cow from you know calf and he did the slaughtering and he's selling it in market. It's not the same here. Like our food, American food is dangerous. So I pay the extra to eat well. And for me, like everything I make, my family just eats it. So it becomes for me part of my, my normal groceries. That's how I look at it. Now, the other things, like if I'm doing extra things, something for whatever, I write off all of my food anyway at the end of the tax year. I make it a business expense. So I'll say these are all out of whatever I earned this year. These the, Every single item I bought for equipment, groceries, whatever, I'm going to write it off for my earnings. So... Because one guys, one day we're going to have a discussion about taxes, not necessarily with Yannick, but on this <laughs> podcast, because that is another a whole different avenue that I think people don't take advantage of. But moving on, moving on. <laughs> um, so, but, I mean, apart from the write offs, what I really mean is like, for example, let's say you're doing, I don't know, let me pull up your block here. Let's say you're doing something like lobster, you know, something expensive versus I don't know how you calculate your profits, but like how much money you would have made on that specific post. Does it always work out? Like, say I spend $200 to prepare this dish to do the content um, versus how much I made off of this particular video. Does it always work out that way? I think initially it doesn't. As you're building and as you're doing it, it doesn't work out. It doesn't equal out um, until you actually start making money. Right. Until you're actually able to do something like AdSense or to do something like an Amazon store, you see, you sort of see the money coming in. Right. It doesn't always initially, but eventually it does. Okay. All right. So you've been 
on several media platforms. Um, obviously, your blog has taken off. You've been featured in The Gleaner, Smile Jamaica. You have a partnership with Kitchen. Um, what was this like for you? Like, I want to know, like, after, like, just being out there, were you like, oh, my God, this is really happening? <laughs> and then number two is, um, would you say that after these things, you saw like traction in your business after these different interviews and stuff? Did you see any traction going on for you after that? Yeah, definitely. I um, All the time I thought people were trying to punk me, first of all, when I got <laughs> when I got emails or even DMs because the producer at Smile Jamaica sent me a DM from a page that looked like a fake page. And I was like, uh oh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. All right. Let me just go along with this and see where it goes. But, you know, it was all real and I, it was happening really fast. So I started in January and I think I did Smile Jamaica in March. And I was like, what is going on? This is insane. But sometimes, you know, you're, you're not in your purpose. You're doing all these other things. And the moment you step into your purpose, the universe sort of shows up to let you know that yep. you're doing the right thing. And I think that's what was happening for me. Like if I was ever doubting or questioning whether or not this was my path or this is what I should have been doing. Like I got confirmation quite early out and I'm, I'm like super grateful for that. And yes, so there's lots of people who get, you know, eyes on you at that time. I only had about, I don't know, 2000 or so followers. And you know, the followers just kept pouring in from the publication in Gleaner and from um, Smile Jamaica. So for a while, my base was mostly Jamaicans in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. They all actually thought I was in Jamaica until I started sharing that I wasn't. I thought so um, too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it brought a lot of eyes on, on, on me. And then the publications here so like the kitchen has now shifted my demographic and I have more U.S. viewers and U.S. Um, hits to the to the blog than any other country so eventually my publications and eyes and all these things that were happening shifted my demographic to the United States and then I started to see partnerships within the United States which are far more lucrative than partnerships that are in Jamaica for obvious reasons. Right. Um, a brand in Jamaica doesn't want to pay as much as a brand here. Yeah, yeah, understandable. Yeah. It's yeah. the light flex for me earlier. Guys, the kitchen has 1.5 million subscribers. So don't, don't take <laughs> that lightly. Yanni is a big deal. It's a big moment, okay? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, um, you know, um, I want to get into like inspirations. I want you to quickly name like just three people obviously grandma is number one <laughs> that yes. um that had a major influence on you um as 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 a like you being here today three people well two um, <laughs> I really love Ina Garten who sometimes dubs herself the barefoot contessa okay a lot of the things that I learned outside of my grandmother's kitchen I actually learned from watching too many hours of her shows but what I also like about her is that she's always herself, you know, on, on food media and she's on food network every day. And she wasn't, she never really cared much about her hair and her makeup and all those other things. What she cared about was the food. And it was so much 
more about the food than it was about her. And I kind of want, that's part of the reason why you won't come to my blog and see a whole life story about me. Because I feel like this stuff is not about me. It's not about me too much. It's not about my kids. It's not about any of that. It's about the food and how that has filled my life, right? And I want people to get a sense of that, like that I kind of come second. Um, and so I've I've learned a lot from her. I've been super inspired by her growth in food. She's not a professional chef. She's had, I don't know, eight or nine cookbooks published, a major show on television. So she's evidence that it can happen for people who didn't go the traditional route of culinary school and being traditionally trained or formally trained. Right. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who else I can if, talk if about. If it's just two people, it's totally fine. Yeah, um, my mom and my grandma. Okay. I guess they can be too. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I, you know, as you know, I have a, a, a Instagram page on food as well. Actually, that's the page I reached out to you through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am a YouTuber otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. My main channel is actually real estate. And I always liked cooking. And sometimes I would post like tutorials on my personal page. And then I was like, you know, I can do this. And I think one of the the moments where I had an epiphany that it was actually possible, um, my first YouTube video, actually, the same potato salad video that I was referring to, I saw it hit 18K views in a couple of months. And I was like, yeah, I I, I think I can do this. Because sometimes you doubt yourself, like, are people going to like how it looks? Are people going to think that you're not qualified because you Mm -hmm. didn't go to culinary school? Mm -hmm. You know, what was your big moment, Yannick, where you were like, look at this, like, (laughs) I can do this. I think for me, I I felt like that from I started. Like I was, I kind of was so unconcerned with the success of it until I started getting all of these things like coming in and happening. I was like, what in the world is happening first of all? But also it's scary because here's the thing. At the end of the year, I was really sad. And instead of being super grateful and happy for what had happened for that whole year, I was super sad because I kept thinking, well, how am I going to top what I did last year? And when I started the page, I never thought about any of those things. I was just happy to be cooking and sharing what I know. And Mm. I felt like people were going to appreciate that. And I have been in my head so much since all of the quote unquote success that has happened for me. And that kind of like dulls your moments, to be honest, and dims your light because you're like, Oh, I got to I got to do more. I got to get more of these. And in, in the beginning, that's not important to you, you know? So like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to continue to be super happy like I was when I first started out with no expectations and just do what I love to do because that other stuff will put like a wool over your eye. And I always felt like I could do it. And now I'm like looking at competitors and looking at this and looking like, can I still do it? <laughs> Not so sure. Am I going to do better this year than I did last year? Well, who knows? And that stuff takes the fun away. Right. 
Because for yes. me, one of my main issues was um, already being on social media as a real estate YouTuber, I was kind of worried about how I could sh- not necessarily shift, but get people to see me as a food content creator. And I'm going to be completely open. It's still something that I'm, you know, going on. It's still an ongoing battle for me. But like you said, I think sometimes you just have to start. Um, yeah. You just ha- like, you have to see yourself like that. You have yeah. to see yourself like that before. Because a lot of what you're doing is for you more than it is for other people. Like that's like, that might sound very like uh, but it's so important that this fills you up before it, you know, because people are out there ready and willing to take you down. Right? Yeah, because and so my- if you're not happy initially and you know I can do this, I love doing this, this is what I want to do, you'll quit. Yeah, because the, the, the same potato salad video that I was referring to, in that same moment where I felt like I could do this, someone watched the video and they were more concerned about how I was cutting. And I was like, this, is, this was one of my biggest fears that persons would think that I'm not qualified because apparently there's a certain way that you should be handling the knife. And, and I was in the same midst of me feeling proud that I got so many views, I was like, does anybody else think that way that was watching the video? Because for me, I'm left-handed. <laughs> so I already yeah. look handicapped. <laughs> and then me not being a professional, I cut it the best way I'm comfortable. And I, it, I guess, as you said, you have to believe in yourself because I didn't go to culinary school. Um, to my knowledge, since speaking to you, it doesn't sound like you went to culinary no. school. Correct me. No. So I don't know. I just, I just think, I think sometimes you really just have to take that leap. Um, the most yeah. that can happen is it won't work. <laughs> yeah. But it can the, work. The worst that'll happen is that it will work. Right. <laughs> right. You will, like, you will be wrong. That's the worst that could happen. Yep. You will be wrong and it will work. But know this, regardless of what you're doing and how well you're doing it, there are always going to be people who are going to come and tell you, you don't know what you're doing. Right. Believe me, Terry Ann has over 600,000 uh-huh. followers on her YouTube. Not just followers, people who subscribe. And she has a real community of people who love her. And there are people who come on her stuff and tell her she can't cook. And she's not doing it right. And, and, and she's, just imagine, she's really cheeky too. Because she responds. Right. <laughs> just imagine if she allowed that to sort of like become a seed. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and start to flourish. You can't. I'll tell you this. Humans are hardwired for negativity. I have a few hundred comments on TikTok that are really great about the potato salad. And the ones I've been looking at are the negative ones because naturally that's who we are. We are hardwired. If somebody told you today, Courtney, you look beautiful. I love your outfit. Maybe five people told you that. Mm-hmm. And then you walk further down the street and one guy says, well, you, you don't look good enough. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That <laughs> is going to stay with you all day. Despite the five people behind him who told you, Courtney, you look gorgeous today. And that's who we are naturally as humans. And we have to learn to kind of tap out of that and say, hey, first of all, I know, I know, I know what I'm doing. Right. And number two, these two or three people who don't like it or don't love it or don't care for them, 
if we take the percentage and do the ratio, they are inconsequential because the majority of people love you, care about what you're doing, respect what you're doing, and are going to honor you for it and give you your flowers. You got to always, it's constant. It's not just one time. I'm doing it right now with every single recipe I put out. I have to be mindful and like shut off, <laughs> shut off the negative thinking and the perspective that I might be doing something wrong. Don't worry about it. Trust me. Because, you know, one of the things I love about Terian is her little disclaimers. I don't know if you watch her videos, but she's like, and guys, if you don't do this a specific type of way, keep the comments to yourself. I don't right. care. <laughs> right. And I don't even, I honestly don't even want to give them that much power. Yo. I, want, I never want to ever address them. I never want to address them. People are crazy and foolish. Well, I don't know about you, but when I make potato salad, I put the eggs down in the potatoes to just mm -hmm. boil at the same time. Is that how you Me were too. taught to do it? Yes, right? that's, that's how I, I was taught to do it. There's a woman on my TikTok who has, I've blocked her four times and each time she creates a new page to come back in a different way and tell me that the eggs are going to cross-contaminate cross the potatoes. Wow. Okay. People are that useless. Okay. So, and I've asked her, what could be on the outside of an eggshell? A washed egg. Of, a, of an eggshell that's been washed that's going to cross-contaminate something at boiling point. This is boiling point we're talking about, okay? What is on it? She said, then she finally said, I'm nasty. I'm disgusting. She would never eat that potato salad. So, you know, like... And that, my friend, was the actual problem, not the egg. Right, <laughs> right, people... People are dealing with their own stuff and they're going to come and try to find somebody to anonymously take it out on and you can't entertain it and let that break you down or take your energy away and take your love away for what you're doing. Just do what you had to do. Well, you know, Yannick, thank you so, so much for taking the time out to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Guys, no if you if you need a if you need to find Yannick's um, blog, it is well on Instagram. She is jam down foodie. That is J-A-M-D-O-W-N foodie. And um, she has her link in her bio for all of her relevant links. Of course, I will put it in the description box below if you're listening to this on YouTube or your podcast platform. Yannick, thank you so much once again, you're everyone. Have, have a wonderful week, everyone, and take care of yourselves. Bye bye.